And welcome to Cangria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And I, I'm, I'm laughing at you because we've been chatting for like 20 minutes now. And when you said hello on the sign-on, that was the first time all day where you sounded as hungover as you are. <laughs> yeah, I've been sort of mumbling throughout the day uh, to save my poor voice. Uh, our regular listeners, our long-time listeners, know that once a year we throw the can-con out the window and we go all in on Eurovision. Oh, now, yes. Unlike past years, I have contained myself oh. and uh, only played one Eurovision song in advance of the actual uh, competition. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the Eat Your Salad one. I want to say it was like Ireland or, or one of those countries. It didn't make it through the semi-final. But um, yeah, a lot of people were upset about the semi-finals because a whole bunch of quite boring ballads made their way through. And all of the poppy upbeat yeah know, there music. was they were showing clips during eurovision of all the performances and you got flashes of all the things that were in the preliminaries that didn't make it to the finals and one of the things that they saw and i'm gonna have to find out who did this they had what looked like a rob zombie clown like an evil filthy gutter clown as a performer and i don't know what that is but i think i'm into it and i have to find what it is there's also like gay cowboys or something from uh yes. one of the, yeah uh, was it moldova it was uh herzegovia maybe i can't remember um but yeah no it, it was kind of a, a weird year a whole bunch of acts that would not not normally do well did incredibly well and vice versa so well, yeah what really jumped out to me was uh, the the Rasmus with Jezebel. Um, I, I want to say they were Finland, I think. Oh, yes. And uh, I was like, why does the Rasmus seem so familiar? And I think it was like a 2004 emo uh, scene, you know, rock song called mm-hmm. In the Shadows. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite songs from that period when I was when I was literally a very angsty teenager uh-huh. um, and uh, it, it blended in quite well, but this isn't the only artist that we saw showing up in the competition that we've seen elsewhere. I think you oh, were talking yes. about how Moldova just, uh, you know, circled back around on what they'd uh, tried and tested uh, musicians. Oh yeah, no, we had a, we had a great time. There was a, a lot of cheering uh, on our end because you're in Toronto and I was here in Ottawa with a friend of the show, friend of the show Jess and her partner Alex and we were uh hanging out with their cats and eating hot dogs because I don't know hot dogs in Eurovision whatever don't judge um and uh yeah no we were super stoked about Moldova and we were very disappointed during the judges section that they were doing so incredibly poorly but I vaguely recognized them and uh later on I looked them up and yeah no they perform in, in uh 2011 with uh, the song Get Lucky and if, if you've watched Eurovision in the past, you'd remember them for having very pointy hats that were like yeah, cone hats, yeah, two meters tall or so. Like their hats were taller than they were, um, like really tall. And a, and a an angel on a unicycle on stage who did nothing yeah. except she was a, an angel in, on a unicycle, just going back and forth. Yeah, and classic, classic Eurovision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was a really interesting year for Eurovision. Um, last year, Britain shocked everybody by getting zero points. Yeah. And this was shocking because they didn't think it was possible to actually get zero points. Yep. They like, they rejiggered the system so that 
that would be either impossible or incredibly unlikely. And they just fell through the cracks and, and nailed it. Yeah. And Britain's entry this year was a TikToker that's done incredibly well and was the number one pick by the national juries, you know, with Germany giving Britain 12 points. This is mm. uh, almost unheard of. What was really interesting is watching the sort of the world of Twitter reacting to uh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Hmm. And in Britain, the overriding emotion, I think, was just confusion. Like, <laughs> nobody, you know, it, it was a good song. It was a Rocket Man, I think it was, by, yeah. um, I want to say, Sam Ryder. No, not mm-hmm. Sam Ryder. Some, some Night or something like that. Mm. Um, it was an okay song. It was sort of, I would have thought it was rather, you know, middle of the road, maybe on the higher end of, of quality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the national juries were falling in love with it. And uh, was so Twitter weird. was saying that, that this guy has done more for the British music scene in Europe than Britain has done for 24 years. It was the I mean, best result in 24 years. This is this is what's nuts. This is what I don't understand about the UK because they, they brought us, you know, Radiohead and the Beatles and the Who and, and like garage music was invented there. Drum and bass, not the American version, but like that that came from England. Like it's it's a powerhouse country in terms of music. Like why don't they just send Imogene Heap or or Adele? Like they have so many good musicians and they, they're really not sending their best. It's really baffling. And sure. so they, they sent a TikToker, which I think definitely, I mean, obviously when the uh, public vote came in, it was clear that that was a good move <laughs> because they, they, they did pretty well with the public vote. Uh, but it was, I, I think it's because they were middle of the road. They weren't, they weren't weird, like, oh, what was her name? Lekka, the one from Israel a few years back mm-hmm. with Not Your Girl. Yeah, uh, Netta, yeah. Netta. It wasn't weird like Netta. It wasn't too ballady like Song of Silence or Sound of Silence. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of average. Didn't really impress me. Yeah, it was very much. middle of the road. And, uh, you know, your longtime Eurovision watchers were very much surprised yeah but i think what was really quite telling is uh alex and jess who was in the viewing party with us they're not uh, as big on eurovision as as necessarily me and you are oh yeah um, and i, I mean they are now them, they are, they now. are now trust told me them that the only guarantee in eurovision is disappointment yes like, that's the only thing you can bank on is uh someone will be disappointed yeah 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 for sure yeah because so my it, mom sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say the the winner is always someone where you're like, they're not bad, but they're not the winner. And that was definitely the UK this year. And like, I think, uh, well, no, the, the winner was Ukraine. And there's a whole bunch of theories running behind that because they were doing so poorly with the judges' votes. Well, they, and- were, they came in fifth. They came in fifth off the national juries. So they were in the top five by national juries. Mm. Um, but I think no one had expected the unbelievable overwhelming public support mm-hmm. for the ukraine and uh it, well, for me i think it was the largest public vote that i've ever seen um well russia in 2016 had a huge skip they got 75 percent of the public vote it was massive um but um i just looked that up i i, I remember that but anyway uh, uh jess actually had a point that she thought the uh you the national juries were rounding down for Ukraine because they wanted Ukraine to come in second. They wanted to place them high, but not put them into a position where they would have to say, 
guys, we can't host this next year or for the next five years. Well, Alexander uh, Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, has already announced that he will try and get Eurovision into Mariupol okay. in, uh, in the Ukraine. Now, for those who have been under a rock, Mariupol is currently under bombardment by Russia um, as a result of their recent invasion. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's shocking. But what's really interesting is that the Ukraine public broadcaster, which was broadcasting Eurovision to the, you know, hollowed out shell of uh, these Ukrainian cities, mm-hmm. was doing so from a war bunker. Mm-hmm. Like they, were, they were broadcasting out of a wartime bunker mm-hmm. to, uh, to make sure the people of the Ukraine can can see Eurovision and, and so on. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a really powerful message of resilience there. It is, but they, they may end up falling back on Odessa in the end because Odessa is much further to the south. And I'm not going to say they're untouched, but they, they're less touched and they have more physical infrastructure still. But we'll see how it goes, you know? That, that's a next year problem. Absolutely. Well, I think there were other, other highlights for me. Um, the openly gay Australian ballad singer was really interesting. We saw um, a couple of folks coming up onto the stage. I want to say it was... Iceland and uh, uh, Iceland and the Netherlands or Australia and the Netherlands were bringing out uh, pride flags and trans pride flags across mm-hmm. the across the thing. Um, Sheldon Wiley from Australia did really well. He was openly gay, so it was a, a pretty big, pretty big moment for for him. And the internet, also- the internet has referred to him as a gay Dark Souls boss. I'm guessing okay. you've never played the game Dark Souls. No, I can't say I have. Uh, so if you look up Dark Souls bosses and then you imagine what would a Dark Souls boss look like if it were fabulous gay and in a white and sparkly palette and not a black and red palette, then yeah, it, it would be his costume. It was a great costume, but it was very thematic. It was very like dark fantasy. You would expect you would expect that to be like the evil witch in a Conan movie. Yeah. The other thing that jumped out was the uh, the performance by Mahmoud and Blanco, who were Italy's uh, submission to the Eurovision Song mm-hmm. Contest. Um, they sang a love song, and it was essentially about how you know getting love song, you know how getting love to work, and, and it's it's a challenge. But they were singing this love song to each other, mm-hmm. and uh, it won the Italian sort of uh, qualification contest to be Mm -hmm. the entry but what was really quite notable and i think the new york times picked up on this as well is that italy as a whole which is not the most pro-gay in the world it is uh you know it's it's really quite stuck in the past um but didn't bat an eyelid at mahmoud and blanco sort of singing intimately to each other they may not have read that as gay they they could have been like those are our good buddies talking about their love I mean, this is the this is the problem with uh, subtext. I, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I had a heated argument about six years back about Yuri on Ice and whether it should count as being a gay story or not. Okay, and I was like, yeah. if it if it's implied, it doesn't count because that's not what canon is. And then more so, Josh uh, was very firmly on if every single scene implies it heavily, that's close enough. But so hmm. I mean, it, it's. The, yeah, that, that song was uh, kind of on the fence in, in terms of how clear it was. 
shall we go to our first block of songs? Yes. Uh, let's let's show folks what we're talking about. We oh, yes. sifted through the 40 plus songs of uh, Eurovision to give you a uh, a, a real taste of our what was going highlights. On. Our, our highlights. highlights. Yes. For me, it has to start off with "Give That Wolf a Banana" by yes. Subwoofer. Um, absolutely incredible song. Number four in Norway. Uh, yep. According to Twitter, people in Europe just loved the song, but maybe yes. not enough to vote for it. They did not maybe, do so yeah. well. And then we've got uh, uh, Schnell by Slomo, which was the Spanish entry. We were essentially calling it Spanish Shakira because uh, it was very. We good. were so shocked it did so because every year Spain, they're just under the assumption they're never going to win. So they just send a fun act and they always do poorly. They always bring the fun to Spain. So, yeah. And this year they actually did well and we were like happy shocked, but we were super yeah. shocked. We're like, oh my God, they're actually going to acknowledge Spain for once. So yeah, that was that was exciting. And then we have the Kulish Orchestra with Stefania, which was the Ukraine's entry, uh, which won the Eurovision. And then yes. we have another three a little later on. But this is Give That Wolf a Banana by Not sure I told you, but I really like your teeth. That hairy coat of yours with nothing underneath. Not sure you have a name, so I will call you Keith. And before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana, give that wolf. And before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana, give that wolf. Give that wolf. Nothing underneath Not sure you have a name So I will call 
виріс, а речу платить Я не мала дитина, вона далі нерви тратить Я гуляв, шлик би тебе трохи Ти все молода, а мама на піку Якщо не ціню опіку, на піку Слаби мені в тупіку, запрошуйте піку Цю піку я би попік Своєю любов'ю Welcome back to Canquia, home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. Now, I asked you before we started the show, have you heard the Grindr news? No, I have not. Well, it isn't just one news story. There seems to be this week a sort of amalgamation of various news stories. So last week we talked about how uh, Grindr essentially confessed to selling detailed geographic information from, I want to say, 2016 to 2020. Right, um, okay. Despite many claims that they fudge the numbers, that it's not exact, and so on and yeah. so forth. But if you're an ad agency or a malicious government, um, you know, more than capable of buying up the uh, the precise location data of mm-hmm. the homosexuals using Grindr. And the thing is, I never understood that for routing uh, enough routing, for, for ad revenue and for selling your information to advertisers, as much as I'm deeply against that, if they can just get your uh, closest router, so whatever uh, 5G tower or uh, internet hub you're routing through, they can get your neighborhood, and that's enough to give information about demographic information availability, you know, do you even live near a Popeyes that they can advertise to you? Or do you live in Canada where there's like two of them in the whole country? Like that kind of information, you don't need precise data to actually target somebody with advertising. Just the, the even just the part of town is enough. And some of the, the details around this are, are kind of creepy and uh, way too precise for what they're trying to do. Well, the other grinder story that we have been following is a series of at least four deaths in Balboa in the Basque region of Spain. Uh, were you uh, familiar with this, uh, Sebastian? Yes. Uh, in the past, uh, before we record, so. yeah, before we record, we often talk about news stories and, and what to talk about. And that one was just there are incidents happening and they don't know what to say because there's no information about it. And I think we opted to not really record on it uh just because it was so such a small story at that point so i'm, I'm guessing there's been progress 
Yeah, they exhumed one of the latest bodies of uh, one of the victims and found a date rape, traces of a date rape drug uh, in the victim's system. Um, and they were also to, able to identify a man on Grinder. That was a common thread between the latest victims and uh, a couple of the other ones, I believe. Mm. Or at least they were able to identify someone through a dating app, which is emerged yep. to be Grinder. Yeah, yeah. They, they could um, identify the account. Whether or not the information in the account was bald lies or not, then it's grinder, so it's probably bald lies anyway. Uh, well, that's the a interesting issue. thing now is a uh, Colombian man has turned himself into the Basque police in Spain, oh. um, and uh, they are obviously, you know, figuring out if this man really did it, mm-hmm. um, if he has been targeting gay men using grinder. But the gay community in Boboa and uh, across Spain are incredibly on alert as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And I think what it does is it really continues to speak to how important your personal safety is when using dating apps. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like once every couple of months, we're talking about one serial killer or serial rapist or a, a rash of, of burglaries. Yeah. Um, honey traps. Using, yeah, exactly. Honey yeah. traps that targeted using um dating apps yeah and of course canada is not immune we had our own um series of murders in the toronto area mm-hmm. um, as well i won't speak the man's name that did it but uh folks are familiar with those murders but also honey traps in canada as well like there was a uh, actually back when i worked for the police there was one of the officers told me a story about how he found a young man in full kink gear sitting on the curb and he uh at, at like two in the morning he just pulled up and he's like hey there buddy you know typical canadian cop hey there buddy you all right there and the guy was like yeah i just got locked out of an apartment with my keys and wallet inside uh that was a date gone wrong and the cop was like well you're not dressed appropriately for public do you want to ride home like these kinds of things happen here it's canada is not immune from this kind of thing even in you know if you think your neighborhood is safe it's not a matter of randos on the street attacking you this is people targeting people through these apps if not because of homophobia then it's just they're targeting you through a venue where you're unlikely to go to the police because of embarrassment or shame or or whatever i think it's it's absolutely vital that um that folks do come forward you know when i was working with the auto police service as well they actually had a, a spate of burglaries from craigslist ads you know, people would, would meet up on Craigslist, they would take their wallet and, and uh, you know, rob them blind, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the police had no idea this was going on uh, until many, many victims later when somebody eventually was like, okay, I need to, I need to tell somebody. Yeah. And uh, they were able to track down the person responsible uh, relatively shortly after that. Mm-hmm. You know, coming forward is not easy, not easy whatsoever. Um, but, uh, you know, the police can't respond to something they don't know about, even yeah. though I think be more proactive in, in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of being proactive, Grindr has also introduced a new uh, descriptor that you can add to your profile. Okay. Are you familiar with the identification? Obviously, you know what a top is and a oh, bottom yes. and a verse. Oh, yes. Okay. Are yes. you familiar with a side? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. So that just is, for our listeners, uh, listeners' benefit, uh, yeah. a top is usually a, a gentleman who is 
doing the the penetrating let's let's call a spade a spade yes uh, a bottom is the one who is uh, on the reverse end of that relationship yes um adverse is someone who can go either way yeah. you know it's like mm, better this better that bit of a mix they're the the both category exactly and now how would you define a side sebastian the neither category uh, there'd be neither category so it's top Absolutely bottom both right. and neither basically yeah it actually makes a nice little quadrant. Uh, uh, anybody who's interested in, in research design would be pretty happy that the gay community just stumbled across a good a good uh, typology for this sort of thing. But anyway, yeah, it's basically top, bottom, both, and neither. Um, and sides, they usually just have to explain what's going on. They're like, yeah, I'm not into that. Uh, you know, there are so many reasons why I have uh, I have. Uh, experience with folks who just that wasn't their cup of tea for yep. medical reasons for yep. discomfort reasons mm -hmm. um it could be a result of previous trauma where mm -hmm. they don't want to engage in that particular activity mm -hmm. or maybe they're trying their best to donate blood and uh, the only option is uh, is to not uh, not engage in that Actually, most of the people that I know, oh, I mean, I've met all the three people who are open about being sides and two of them. So I guess 66% of the people that I've spoken to have said uh, it's not that they're necessarily fully against topping or bottoming. It's just by the time you prep yourself to get ready, you could have done other stuff, had a break and done other stuff a second time. Uh, depending on how much prep work you do. So they're like, it's just, it's such a headache. Time it's management. Not... Are you saying it's time management? Yeah. And they're like, and and in the end, it's like 2% better. And you always need to shower afterwards. And it's just, it's harder to just do a quickie, well, you know? It was an interesting uh, article way back in 2013 in the Huffington Post where people really started to talk about this particular topic. Yeah. Um, but what I think it does is by bringing it onto Grinder, mm. which you know is ubiquitous in the gay male community. Oh yes. What it does is it creates it, it sort of removes that pressure on young gay men that the option is one or the other or both. You know what I mean? It takes away the pressure that they would have to submit to that activity or mm. Uh, engage that activity. You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, sexual racism tied into those positions as well. Mm -hmm. um, certain assumptions about how different uh, racialized bodies would engage in in uh, intercourse. So this, I think, gives folks an option to just opt out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that doesn't mean never. That doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Yeah. But it means that in my dating profile, when I first meet you and it's yeah. just a torso picture, yeah. This is where I'm starting the conversation as opposed to, you know, something with a bit more detail. I mean, yeah, if you're to classify, because I've seen a lot of people say this as well, that, you know, they, they prefer topping or they prefer bottoming, but not at first. You know, like the, the first three dates, the first three months, and then beyond the first three months, a lot of people will shift their preferences according to trust and comfort and... Uh, whether or not they think you're worth the effort of going through all that nonsense because they just met you and, you know, they could be eating chicken wings and there is no butt stuff. If you just had a taco, not if you respect anyone. So, I mean, it's, th there's a lot of that as well, where it's like, uh, you know, top or bottom, uh, what time frame are we talking? Like I I've seen that come up a lot as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I kind of get that where people would be like, you know, 
maybe I'm versed, but for you, who I just met just now, I'm a side. So I, I could see that being a thing as well. Absolutely. Well, I think it's I think it's a fantastic step uh, and decision by Grinder to to oh. introduce this. Now, all of this is in the much larger context of Grinder going public. And normally, when we've talked about Grinder going public, it is usually a series of leaks, mm -hmm. and data breaches, and uh, you know, just all that kind of information. But no, in this case. Um, we're talking about Grindr is merging with a special acquisitions company. You may have heard of the term SPAC. Um, it's essentially an investment vehicle that uh, is an alternative to a public offering. Okay. And what they have done is by merging with this company, they are now valued at about $2.1 billion uh, US um, as they uh, work towards um you know, merging into this new company. Mm -hmm. They're teaming up with the Tigua Acquisition Corporation, uh, which is a special acquisitions company. Um, they are going to rename themselves Grinder Inc. Okay. Uh, the is valued at about 2.1 billion. They also plan on maintaining a pretty strong queer presence on the board of directors for this company. So I mean, most notably, yeah. they mention uh, George Arison, the CEO of Shift Technologies, and the Hootsuite CMO, Maggie Lower, as well. Yeah. So it is encouraging to see that they are still maintaining a, a queer leadership mm -hmm. for this incredibly important resource in the gay community. Normally, I would say that's kind of crass. That would be kind of tokenistic hiring for your board of directors. But for an organization like this, I think it makes sense. You know, like it makes sense that the entire BOD of Black Lives Matter be at least 80%, you know, black, that would make sense. So I think in this case, absolutely, that that it's an obvious choice. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's jump to uh, Univision submissions that didn't quite make the make the cut. We're going to start yeah. off with Greece. Now, we surprising number of ballads in this year's Eurovision. Oh, yeah. And uh, we wanted to choose one that was, first of all, good. And yeah. Um, you know, sort of emblematic of the ballads in yep. uh, in this year's submission. What was your motivation for choosing Greece's submission with Die Together? Well, it was it was 50-50. It was either going to be the Netherlands or Greece. And it was basically, uh, these were two very talented singers. They nailed the notes. They had a very good performance. And they didn't overdo it. They didn't have that, that uh, sort of Celine Dion screaming into the mic you know, trying to wow you. It was actually, you know, it was more expression than it was impression. But they also impressed because they were just powerful singers. And uh, I think I just, I went with Greece because Greece was a, a popular, uh, we were we were rooting for Greece at, at Shea Jess. So. I, was, I, was, I was rooting for uh, Sweden at uh, Shea, my mother. So it was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was on team Sweden. But, what surprised me is that there were at least three different artists this year that were crying by the end of their track. And I'm like, mm -hmm. the number of people who need a hug at Eurovision is above above the norm. So we're going to play. Well, that's uh, what the Norwegian guys were doing. They were running around giving everyone hugs. I like it. I like <laughs> it. So next up, we have Moldova, which is very Eurovision. Very Euro and, Well, very Eurovision. But uh, as it was going on, just that she'd never heard anything like that before, which surprised me. Because I would sort of file them under gypsy punk, 
Mm. And about 15 years ago, that was really big. Like in Toronto, there's the Lemon Bucket Orchestra. And out of Norway, there was Kaiser's Orchestra. So it's it's an established sound. And for it to show up at Eurovision is not at all surprising. But it's a fun band. It's uh, very danceable. Very and good party put, music. We're going to finish off with Constructor uh, in Corpore Sano, which is Serbia's submission. Now, this one was a favorite of the delegates. Yes. This is the, the Eurovision singers Eurovision song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the singers like this. This is the, uh, I guess you could say like the Kate Bush of Eurovision where other... Aggressive music... hand-washing is a key feature <laughs> in the video. From this, well, I mean, they're very keen. Just musically weird. People who make music loved her because they're like, I see what you're doing there. But it wasn't really for audience appeal. It was like a Bjork kind of a performance, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to kick it off first with Die Together, Greece's entry to Eurovision 2022. I'm in your backseat. You are driving me crazy. You're in full control. It's like you always know so. Are you having a good time? Doesn't seem like you're all fine. We don't laugh anymore. And when we cry, we do it on our own. It's been a lovely year for us Yeah, that's what they say It's been a hell of a year And we've been living in fear Close to giving up But if we die together now We will always have each other I won't lose you for another And if we die together Forever, if we die together, die together. No. I love you. Say that you love me too. That's the only way we can get out of this hell we made. It's been a lonely year for us. Yeah, that's what they say. It's been a hell of a year. But if we
Welcome back to Cangria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. And this is our special issue of Eurovision. Now, we have wrapped up a nice bow on our Eurovision songs for the day. We will be playing out a little later with Mika and Yo-Yo, because one of the major highlights of this Eurovision Song Contest was the impromptu Mika medley, which uh, took place near the end. And uh, was that people were like... Well, no, he was he was listed as a, as a host. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was people are like, why couldn't we just have two or three hours of Mika? Like that would just be fine. Like that's... as it was happening, I was thinking, this is what they thought would happen when they got Justin Timberlake in. Except mm. all he really did was promote the latest movie he was in, and everyone was like, "What's JT doing here?" Mika made sense. Not only that, but uh, Mika is fluent, completely fluent in French, English, and Italian. And as the night was going on, you could see him slip between the languages like it was nothing. So he was a great choice, great singer, great performer. Uh, he was incredibly awkward and difficult to watch during the jibber jabber sessions. But that's oh, the jibber jabber was the worst. Yeah, and and the the vignettes with the animated drone. Oh my gosh! Oh terrible. god, discount Wally. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, yeah, it was awful, and it's so frustrating because all of these beautiful, sweeping, you know, video shots of various parts of uh, Italy were taken with a drone. Yeah, so they just CGI'd in a different and very unbelievable drone. Yeah, it was like just nineties oh. level reboot cartoon era animation of CG. It was really painful, really, really difficult to watch. Yeah, but yeah, the no, stage uh, production was also a hair off this year i think we've had better <laughs> stage production in previous years you say that but one of the jokes that came up at shea jazz was that whoever did the lighting this year probably did three times more cocaine than they should have because there were literally <laughs> hundreds of lights and they were all the articulating lights on computers that were like swirling around and stuff it was too many lights but in a way that was impressive when they were all going but Oh it, man, that does remind me of one of the highlights of the evening, which is when uh, someone was asking Miniskin, the Italian winner from 2021, mm. you know, what advice would you have for the contestants <laughs> who are going to win? And without batting an eyelid, he said, "Don't lean too close to the table." <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> of course there was allegations last year that they were uh, engaging with substances. But yeah, just the, the flippancy of it. Yeah, yeah, don't lean, don't lean too close to the table. Just and in the end, it was like he was tying up his shoelace or something. It just looked like he he was snorting off the table. It was ridiculous. But yeah, no, it was 
it was a good year. It was a pretty good stage. Uh, it wasn't the worst. It wasn't the best. Uh, I wouldn't say middle of the road either. I would say, you know, better than average, but not number one. It was a good, good, good year for production. Yeah. So that was a, uh, an interesting tweet and uh, subsequent Reddit post around, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I have the memory of a goldfish. And essentially the tweet is like how gay men are able to get away without remembering anyone's name mm-hmm. by, oh, hi, darling. How are you? Good to see you there, hon. Mm-hmm. You know, sweetie, this has been amazing. Let's let's go for dinner. Um, unless you're RuPaul, because this week RuPaul was talking to Jinx Monsoon and was like, and what's your name? Um, <laughs> because there's so many drag queens, not even RuPaul can keep track of them. Anymore. Oh, yes, yes. But it was an interesting conversation. I know I have done it, especially Darling. I, I use Darling far more than I should. I really lean into the British accent. Like, oh, yes, Darling, one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I can't remember anyone's name. But as a gay man, Sebastian, have you used epithets such as that, terms of endearment to avoid remembering names? Yeah, but bear in mind that I'm a little bit more, I mean, I don't want to say bro-y, but I'm heading in that direction. This is also under the influence of mutual friend Phil that I use mm. buddy, pal, friend, guy. I do that a lot. Like, hey, guy, how you guy. doing? Yeah, hi, guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I do that a lot. And, and uh friend or and i only use friendo if i actually do remember their name like friendo mm-hmm. is is uh but that's also sarcastic usually like nice going there friendo uh mm-hmm. but yeah i i tend to lean on the more buddy pal side of things but yeah no i totally do that for sure yeah i just thought it was an interesting take i don't think it's unique to being gay i think lots of people uh do this um i want to start off with a story from Sweden and Norway where a couple of journalists in Sweden and Norway um, posed as a gay couple when they were booking their hotels in Qatar ahead of the World Cup. Now, the various national soccer associations have said Qatar is going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. You know, we are aware that they are an incredibly homophobic state, but, you know, it's going to be fine. We're tourists. It'll, It'll be fine. Um, And what their undercover investigation found is that many of the official hotels in Qatar uh, just frankly refused to accommodate them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is only a story insofar as we very much expected this to happen. And now here is the evidence of this literally happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that it was a couple of straight journalists, um, you know, doing a, a you know, bit of a sting operation to see if they yeah. could, what the response is. But at the same time, I am relieved that now we know yeah. so that those who are looking to go to Qatar for the FIFA World Cup um, are aware that uh, those hotels, at, at least, you know, starting from when you check in, yeah. there will be a hostile environment and uh, not particularly welcoming at all. I mean, they're on the list of uh, if, if you go to the uh, Canadian Tourism Board or, or Canadian International Affairs, there's one of the websites where it actually tells you countries that are safe to travel to if you are a blank and it'll actually say like if you are a woman traveling alone if you are a same-sex couple there's different things like that and Qatar is definitely on the list uh, several of those lists actually um do you know what will not be on that list as of uh October of this year I'm not sure who uh, who will not be on that list uh Japan because they are now allowing same-sex uh marriage licenses to be issued 
Now, the way they're doing it there is they're going on a prefecture by prefecture basis. So it, depending on what municipality you live in in Japan, you can get your local office to register for you. Um, it's a, a Japan being a full-blown bureaucracy, as you know it, uh, registering with the state, as far as they're concerned, is the marriage. If you want to have a Buddhist or Shinto wedding, that's your business. Um, so they're, they're very much like that. And if you get married in a, a municipality that does acknowledge it and you live in one that does not acknowledge it, you still get to get your tax benefits. So basically, as of October this year, they have same-sex marriage in Japan. And this I mean, is I, I have to I have to correct you here, uh, Sebastian. Oh? It's actually same-sex partnerships. Part well, yes, yes. So well, there is still uh, still pressure. Um, the National Lobby Group for Marriage for All Japan, they're called Marriage for All Japan, um, says essentially these agreements don't have the same legal effects as marriage. Okay. Um, but the Tokyo uh, Metropolitan Authorities have said, you know, essentially this is a major step. Mm-hmm. in building that uh, acceptance and understanding within the community. For sure, so yeah. It's, you know, it's a major step forward. I think it's the Japanese equivalent to a civil partnership yeah. is yeah. what they're doing, yeah. But translated and with different implications because they have a different legal system, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're almost out of time, eh? We are almost out of time. Well, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that Greece has passed an LGBTQ conversion therapy ban. However, okay. it does have an a omission for those who consent. So if someone can be forced into consenting, then, uh, then is it, the ban doesn't apply. You have to be it's an adult? The same loop, yeah, it's the same okay. loophole that the British government is looking at introducing, yeah, which I, I think undermines the, the sort of strength of the law. And a Polish court has dissolved two of the LGBT free zones in Poland for gross violation of the law and for presenting LGBT people as evil. So Poland is consistently one of the least LGBT friendly countries in the world. um, Yeah, that's that's an interesting turnaround, though, that they've they've absolutely. yeah. Yeah. And then the last one I have is the UK has tumbled in the European LGBT rights ranking for the third time in a row. It's now 14th in Europe, Mm -hmm. um, and that includes a number of Western European countries. Uh, And it is literally the fact that uh, at the Queen's speech recently, um, trans uh, conversion therapy was omitted from the efforts to ban conversion therapy. And uh, the Conservative government's attacks on LGBT culture are continuing to make a hostile environment. Hmm. Well, we are keeping an eye on all of the international news, but for now, let's play out with a brand new track by Mika, the host of Eurovision 2022. This is Yo-Yo. I have been Luke Smith. And I have been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Take that on the sorrow Put that on the beat Take that on the sorrow Put it on the beat I know back tomorrow You'll come back to me If you're not back tomorrow What will be, will be We will be on the beat Baby
tomorrow Then you're gonna see You turn to do the dancing Now you can dance for me On the beat, on the beat Take me high, 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 take me low, low, low. 